Mark chapter 6, looking at verses 30 through 44. If you don't have a Bible, use one of those Blue Church Bibles. Turn that Bible to page 841, and that will bring you to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Actually, we'll be looking through 45. Yesterday, we, I just want to thank you guys, the ones that were able to come out and make it for door hanging. It looked like it was going to rain, and we, last time that happened, we canceled. And we just figured, oh, it's going to rain, no one will come. And it didn't rain, so we said we will not make that mistake this time. So we said, we're going, no matter what. We're going to show up at 9, and we'll see who shows up. A great crowd showed up. And I kid you not, ten minutes into handing out door hangers, the sky opened up and the sun came out and it actually got hot. So we were able to accomplish quite a bit. But we do need your help to get out the remaining door hangers. So if you could, and you can participate in that way, sign up for the two opportunities we have in April to get out the remaining door hangers. Beyond that, we will have personal invitations in the next couple of weeks that you can hand out to your friends family, relatives, strangers, inviting them to Easter, our Easter service. So start thinking now about who that might be. We would like to have a lot of unbelievers here on that Easter morning. Uh, We're not looking to draw people from other churches. We'd like to bring people in who either don't know the Lord, don't know Him very well, or don't currently have a church and are seeking a good Bible-teaching, gospel-centered, on-fire church. By the way, that's this one, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> All right. So let's, we'll look at the text here in a second. Mark chapter 6. We're just working our way through the, the text. And I don't think, I think that was it for announcements for me. It was. All throughout our history, the world has frequently been marked by unimaginable human cruelty sometimes referred to as man's inhumanity to man. This utter lack of compassion has revealed itself in many ways, including the sadistic treatment of defenseless animals. One story I found had reported the following. Detroit Zoo director hired four new security guards to protect the animals from man. In the past two years there, a baby Australian wallaby left the protection of its mother's pouch and was stoned to death. A duck died with a steel-tipped hunting arrow in its breast. A pregnant reindeer miscarried after firecracker-hurling use bombed the frantic animal into convulsions. Visitors have dropped lighted cigarette butts on the backs of alligators, laughing at the reptiles' reactions as the ashes burned through their skin. Finally, the zoo's male hippopotamus choked to death when someone responded to his open mouth begging for peanuts by rolling in a tennis ball. The zookeepers wonder who should be caged. Good question. Recently, the comedian, maybe you've heard this, Gilbert Gottfried, who was the voice behind the talking duck mascot for Aflac Insurance. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you who have televisions in your home, I'm sure have seen the Aflac duck. 
That was Gilbert Gottfried. He was the voice behind that. He was fired from that job. He is no longer their voice because he made some incredibly, which I will not repeat, incredibly inappropriate jokes about Japan's horrific crisis they're experiencing right now. Seeing the jokes and hearing the jokes, when I did hear it, I just sat there, my wife and I just sat there and wondered, where is the compassion in this man? They're not, it's not even funny. Unfortunately, he is not alone in his lack of consideration or concern for others. However, if we are honest with ourselves, we too, in varying degrees, have probably taken an I couldn't care less type of attitude in different times in our lives towards our fellow man. Unlike our human history, Christ was marked by compassion during His earthly ministry. We, as His followers, His disciples, His representatives to this world, should be marked by compassion too. The question this morning is, are we? Are we really? Look at the text with me in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, as we continue moving through the Gospel of Mark. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. If you're new with us this morning, there's an outline inside of your bulletin where you can follow along with the points that we have this morning that we'll be looking at. At the top of that outline, you can just read this with me. This morning we are going to look at three details about Jesus' compassion 
so that we might evaluate our attitudes and actions toward others. Toward others. Two weeks ago, we read and looked at the unique mission that Jesus gave his 12 apostles in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. That was two weeks ago. In the text today, this week, it opens with the conclusion of that story beginning in verse 30, the verse we just read. Mark tells us the apostles returned from their preaching tour, the one we talked about two weeks ago, and reported to Jesus all that had happened during this very exciting time in their ministry. Now, Christian ministry is filled with many joys. But it is not easy. It is not easy. In fact, it is often demanding and draining emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Because of the constant stream of people that were interacting with the disciples, Jesus' disciples, they were having trouble just to find time to eat. Something we all take for granted. Something we do typically three or four or five or six times a day. Some of us. This is why in the text we just read, Jesus wisely tells his men that they need to get away where they can be alone and rest for a short time. So they leave Galilee by getting into their boat and making their way across the Sea of Galilee, most likely to a northeast location. Going to a place that they believe will be Secluded, meaning no one else is there. The only problem is, according to the text, the people spot them leaving, report that to others, and decide to follow them along the shoreline on land to their destination, ultimately beating them there and waiting for them, Jesus and his disciples who need to get away, waiting for them to get out of the boat and come onto land. Now think about this. Just, this is the picture. This is the scene so that we understand how significant some of these things are that Mark recorded. Jesus and his weary men are in need of rest, some time away from the clamoring multitudes. What they end up with is anything but that. Anxiously waiting for them at their destination was a very large and needy crowd. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm really tired and worn down, I have a hard time being compassionate towards others. Can anybody else relay? Is that just me? Just me. Okay, I'm by myself on that one. In fact, sometimes when I get worn down, I struggle in this area. I do. My wife can attest to this. When I get worn down, I can become cranky and I just want to be left alone, isolated. The context here then helps us understand how remarkable verse 34 really is. Let's look back at the text. Mark 6.34 When he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he, he what? Had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. This brings us to the first point in the outline. 
His compassion was exceptional. It was exceptional. Let me define compassion and exceptional for you. Compassion meaning to feel sympathy for, have pity on, or have one's heart go out to someone else. Compassion. Sympathy, pity, my heart goes out to that other person. Exceptional, meaning not conforming to a general rule or pattern. That is, Jesus' compassion was extraordinary, or to use a term that is way overused in our culture right now, epic. Epic. That is using it appropriately. Larger than life, heroic, was Jesus' compassion. One commentator puts it this way, Jesus had every right. He had every right to be annoyed with the crowd. They had prevented him and his disciples from much needed rest. But instead of being irritated, he responded compassionately and in love. Another writer says this, This story is an illustration of that wonderful love that never sought its own but always forgot its own needs and worries and sorrows in sympathy and care for the burdens and sorrows of other people. Of other people. In light of the circumstances, beloved, any other man may have, certainly probably would have, acted differently in this situation. Becoming angry, frustrated, turning around and leaving. I mean, think about the options he had. He sees them. Oh, this is not a good spot. Boys, turn the boat around. We're going to have to go somewhere else. Or, maybe he does stay. But he does it grudgingly. You ever done that? Resenting the people the entire time. (laughs) And desiring to be anywhere else but there. None of that. None of that with Jesus. By the way, the subject of Jesus' compassion in the Scriptures comes up again and again. But one place it really stands out to me where it's just like bright and brilliant and in your face is at the cross. Turn your Bibles, if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So just one book to the right. Luke chapter 23. Page 884, if you're using one of those blue Bibles. Just look at two verses with me. 23, 33, beginning in 33. It says in verse 33, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. This is Jesus Christ. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Beloved, it's almost, it's almost unbelievable. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. While the people mocked 
and murdered Jesus, his response was one of colossal compassion. Father, forgive them. Now you might be thinking, well, that is amazing compassion. And you would be right. But I mean, we're talking about the Son of God. And after all, He is perfect. And we, not so. Not so perfect. That's true. That is very true. But beloved, the Christian life is lived out, or is not lived out, or accomplished in our strength. But rather, it is lived out in the unlimited and perfect strength of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, if you are a believer, He lives in and through us. And it is that fact that should ultimately make Christian compassion look very, very different compared to those who do not have Christ indwelling them. I know there are plenty of examples we can come up with of non-Christians showing compassion, if you thought for a moment, in one way or another. For instance, Sandra Bullock recently gave up $1 million of her wealth to help the people of Japan. Act of compassion? Yes? And there are many other examples of non-believers or people who don't follow Christ showing compassion. But here's the question. Would they still show care for those who didn't deserve it or were even hostile to them? Would they still show compassion? One example of Christ-like compassion in a man, a human being, who had Christ living in him, would be Stephen. A Christian who was killed for proclaiming his faith. Turn your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Just to the right, Acts chapter 7, page 916. Acts 7, looking at verses 58 through 60. Here is exceptional compassion. Epic, colossal, extraordinary, over-the-top, heroic compassion. So, Stephen had given his message to the people about Jesus Christ. How do they respond? (laughs) Verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. By the way, that is Paul before he converted to Christ. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay, that's all understandable so far. Verse 60, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold... By the way, 
So it says, it's interesting that the writer here wants us to know that he did this with a loud voice. So with, okay, you're being stoned. You would have a loud voice for a lot of other reasons. But he used his loud voice to make this his last request. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is a way of describing someone who has died in Jesus Christ. So let me apply this a little bit to us, this first point. Beloved, we want to beat someone to a pulp because they cut us off on the freeway. Or act rudely towards us. Or say something unpleasant. (laughs) Huh? These things should not be so. Christ showed compassion to those who did not deserve it. Who did not deserve it. And that is what makes it so exceptional. You and I, as His representatives to this world have been empowered by Him to do the very same thing. The question is, will we exercise the Holy Spirit's power in this area or will we revert to our old and sinful and disgusting and unchristlike ways? This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, just listen, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul, here's what he says. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. What are you talking about, Paul? You're still alive. No. I died. That old Paul died with Christ. The Paul you see now is not the old Paul. It's no longer Paul that lives, but then he says, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith. In who? In Himself, in His powers, in His abilities, in His own compassion? No. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how Paul lived. Do you want to know how Paul lived such a radical Christ-like life? That's it right there. I'm not living anymore. I'm letting Christ live through me. And that's the only way you and I will ever demonstrate that type of compassion to people. And I'll tell you something. That draws people to Christ. Because they don't get that anywhere else. All right, look back at Mark chapter 6, verse 34, page 841. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So this brings us to our second point this morning. First, we looked at his compassion, the fact that it was exceptional, extended to people who didn't even deserve it at the cross, extended to people that were hostile to him. 
In this case, we see that his compassion was critical. Was critical. What do you think of when you hear the word critical? Huh? Emergency? So like the, I don't know, example that's on television right now, the nuclear crisis, the critical nature, urgent. If something's not done, devastation will follow. His compassion was critical. Mark informs us about the desperate condition of the people and why Jesus had compassion on them by saying they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean exactly? I am glad you guys asked that question. The Bible regularly refers to people as sheep. Okay? Now, if you know anything about sheep, then you will understand that being referred to one is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. We would rather be called lions or tigers or bears. Oh my, right? Anybody get that reference? Okay, thank you. Fine. Lions or tigers or bears, but not sheep. That's, I just, that's not what I want to be called, but that is what the Bible refers to me as. Sheep are dumb animals. They are dumb animals, and without the necessary care of a shepherd, that is someone who watches over and cares for sheep, their situation can quickly become very serious and dangerous since they are unable to adequately care for themselves. A good shepherd keeps his defenseless and dumb sheep from, just a couple things, wandering away from the fold and getting lost, which they regularly do, leads them to green pastures and streams of water so that they will be nourished, and he protects them from their many enemies, such as wolves who seek to devour them. A good shepherd cares for his sheep and seeks their welfare first, even above his own. Even above his own. That's what a good shepherd does. This sheep-shepherd idea is also used as an illustration in the Old Testament. Just for fun, because we've been learning the books of the Old Testament, let's try this out. We're going to turn to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You got it, guys. Fourth book of the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 27, page 136, if you need a little help in those blue Bibles. Here, the shepherd leader Moses is speaking to God. Listen to what he says in verse 16 and 17. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, why? That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Okay? So here's what we have going on. God, prior to this, had informed Moses who had been leading the nation of Israel to the promised land that he would not be allowed to enter that land with his people. In fact, he would die before they would enter the promised land of Canaan. It's actually a very sad section of Scripture. Moses' concern is not for himself, but the people. So he asked God to appoint another leader to take his place. 
one that would care for the nation as he had done. Moses knew the tragic consequences that would come if the people were left without a godly leader or a shepherd. So he makes this love, loving request of God. And God answered it and gave him a man named Joshua. But that's another story. We'll talk about that later. At the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, the people were not without shepherds. They had religious leaders. But they were worthless shepherds. So in a sense, they had no shepherds. Not the kind that God would call a shepherd. They did not care for the people. By the way, this was not a new problem in the history of Israel. The nation had faced this many times before. Almost 600 years before Jesus was born, God spoke to the nation of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. So let's go there. Turn to the right. We haven't looked at that book yet. Ezekiel chapter 34, page 721. Ezekiel chapter 34. What book is it after? You guys know? Yeah, Lamentations. Next week. It's just the book after Lamentations. Thirty-four, beginning in verse one, God is going to speak to the nation. Listen closely. When God speaks, we should listen. He speaks to the nation of Israel through his prophet Ezekiel. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beast. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. I'm tempted to talk about the many false shepherds that we have wandering around in our world today who call themselves Christians, but I will I will not do that. I don't have the time. The crowds pursuing Jesus were were lacking what they so desperately needed. That is a godly shepherd. And Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 11, identifies Himself as the Good Shepherd. As the Good Shepherd. And as the Good Shepherd, He had compassion on these lost, wandering, helpless, defenseless sheep. So here's the takeaway for us. Here's the takeaway. Compassion 
is not optional for Christians. This is not like one thing that you might do or may not do. This is not as if, well, I don't think the Spirit has given me the gift of compassion. Therefore, I can't exercise compassion like that. Compassion is critical. It is critical based on the desperate situation that still exists within humanity today. Beloved, many, tell me if this is not true, many, many people all around us are what? What are they, Senior? Booyah! Right there! There it is in my notes, and I never showed it to her. They're lost! They're lost! They are sheep without a shepherd. Because they do not have the good shepherd to care for, or feed, or watch over, or protect their souls. To make matters worse, if it's not, if it wasn't bad enough to make it worse, the enemy, the devil, a very real enemy, who by the way is not referred to as a sheep in the scriptures, but instead as a roaring lion. who prowls around seeking someone to devour sheep. And he's good at what he does. And he regularly empowers false shepherds to do his dirty work, who take advantage of the sheep, fleece them, and lead them astray. Beloved, until you and I, until we begin to see lost people, that is those without Jesus Christ, not as the enemy or a burden or as people to be avoided, but as those who are in desperate need of Christ-like compassion, then we will not take the necessary and often sacrificial steps to reach out to them and graciously point and lead them to the great Shepherd, our Savior. That's the point. Christ's compassion was exceptional. It was critical. And that brings us to our last point. His compassion was spiritual. His compassion was spiritual. Look back at the text with me if you would. When he went ashore, verse 34, sorry, chapter 6, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Let me clarify. When I say his compassion was spiritual... I mean this, his compassion in this story specifically was focused on the lost spiritual condition of the people, the crowd. Let me say that again. His compassion in this story specifically was focused on the lost spiritual condition of the people, the crowd. This is evident by the fact that as a result of his compassion, the text says, we just read it, that he began to teach them many things. Meaning, he began to feed them 
Not bread and fish, but spiritual truth. We're going to look at more of that in a second. So let me address something at this point before we get to that. Because you might be thinking, Pastor, you are on your last point of your sermon and you're still focused on this one verse, verse 34. What about the supernatural multiplying miracle of Jesus feeding the hungry multitudes with only a few fish and five loaves of bread? You guys have really good questions. I just want to tell you that right now. And so I'm going to attempt to answer that good question. There is no doubt that this particular miracle is very significant. It is the only one that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In other words, of all the miracles that are recorded, this shows up in all four. That is not true for the other ones. Jesus will repeat this miracle again on a slightly smaller scale when we get to Mark chapter 8. We'll see that. And there is a reference back to this miracle twice in Mark chapter 6 verse 52 and chapter 8 verse 19. Okay, so let me ask you this question. I just want you to think through here this with me and I'm going to hope to not be misunderstood and try to clarify as I go. Was Jesus' primary mission on earth to miraculously feed hungry people? You didn't have to answer so quick, but that's okay. No. Let's pretend it was. Then I would ask this question. Why didn't Jesus keep a constant stream of food coming? Why stop with that group? I mean, there's no doubt in my mind there were other hungry people in the world at that time that could benefit from Jesus' food-creating power. Because if you're not familiar with the story, that's exactly what happened. He created from five loaves and two fish enough food to feed over 5,000 people. We'll look at that in a second. Along with leftovers to fill 12 baskets the disciples could take back with them. How did he do that? I ask that because people often misunderstand or miss the theological reason behind these incredible miracles that Jesus performed. And as a result, they may immediately see and think that Jesus' compassion here in this text that we've been reading about is directly tied to or connected to the food miracle and the feeding of the 5,000. Or, to put it another way, they are thinking that Christ-like compassion is primarily about meeting people's physical needs. So this is why I'm taking some extra time today to focus specifically on verse 34 of the text. Now consider some things with me as we just move through this so you can examine this and know that I'm not making this stuff up. You can see it in the text yourself. The feeding of the crowd did not actually take place till much later in the day. Look back at Mark chapter 6, verse 34, the last phrase there that we're focusing in on on this point, and he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Now, when we look at Matthew 14, 15, which is, records this particular story also in its gospel. There we're told that it was the first evening 
that the disciples came to Jesus and asked him this question. And just understand in Jewish culture, they had two evenings. One evening was after three and the other evening was after sunset. Both evenings are referred to in Matthew 14. So we know that the disciples came to Jesus sometime after three o'clock, but before sunset, with this question. It can also be safely assumed that Jesus arrived on the shore sometime early in the morning, just understanding when they would take the lake trip and when the lake conditions were the best to be traveling across it. So, he gets there early in the morning. Sometime later in the day after 3 o'clock, this whole issue about food comes up. We already know that upon his arrival, that is Jesus' arrival, a following crowd was waiting there. Remember we talked about that? There is no mention in the text of the crowds being hungry or needing food when Jesus got off the boat. It is at that time when Jesus first saw the crowd that we are told he had compassion on them. What was the result of Jesus' compassion? What was it connected to? What was he concerned about? What did he care about for these people, at least in this text? And we're told in Mark 6.34, by his actions it says, and he began to teach them many things. Things. That is what the compassion was tied to, specifically concern for their souls. In Luke chapter 9, verse 11, the story is also recorded there, and there we are told the things that he taught them about were not, you know, how to do better farming so you'd have more food or something like that. He wasn't telling them about how his travels across the lake went. It says specifically the things he taught them about were the eternal or was the eternal kingdom of God. That's what he taught them about. So he has compassion and that compassion immediately turns into teaching these people about the things of the kingdom. Now, Jesus' teaching did not last for a few minutes or even a few hours, but it continued throughout the day. His disciples, as we read the story, were concerned about how late it was getting and not knowing how the crowds would find food in this desolate place they were, recommended that Jesus send the crowds away to get them something to eat because they had gone the whole day with just sitting and hearing these precious words from Jesus. And now the day had grown late and obviously they would begin to become hungry. Now, Jesus wasted no opportunity. You see this. You've already seen this as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Whenever there's an interruption in what he's doing, he always takes full advantage of it. And he did it here. He seized this one to powerfully demonstrate his true divine nature by turning a few loaves of bread, five, and a few fish into enough food to feed 5,000 plus people. Matt, the reason I keep saying that is Matthew 14, 21 says that he about 5,000 men ate besides women and children. In other words, they only counted the men. And some estimations are it could be anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000 people on that day were fed 
by Jesus with five loaves of bread and two fish. This miracle then was over the top, as I've already said. And it would have been another strong reason to believe that every life-changing word about the kingdom that Jesus had shared with the crowd that day was not simply the words of another human being or another religious teacher, but instead, beloved, the divine words of the Son of God. The point is not here that Jesus filled some hungry bellies. That's not the point. But that He filled their minds all day long with truth, saving truth. And then, out of that compassion, took the opportunity to give them every reason to believe that truth. This miracle then was really another example of Christ's desire and compassion and concern for people's souls, knowing this, that if they ultimately rejected the truth He had given them, that they one day would certainly face the wrath of God. I'll show you this also in John's Gospel so you get the same type of understanding of what was the reason that Christ did these incredible things. Near the end of John's Gospel in which John selected only seven of the 35 miracles we have recorded. By the way, Jesus did many more miracles. But we have 35 recorded. John chose seven of them. And then he writes the following in John chapter 20. You can just listen. John chapter 20, page 906 if you want to turn there. Verses 30 and 31. Here's what John writes at the end of his Gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written... Why? Why did you record these, John? These are written so that you may believe... That Jesus is more than a man. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing that, you may have life. What type of life is he talking about? Eternal. That your soul might have life. So I'm recording these miracles for you so that you will know that everything he said, you should take it and believe it with all you've got. Because it's coming directly from the Christ, the Anointed One, the Prophesied One, the very Beloved Son of God. And these miracles demonstrate that over and over and over again. So stop the unbelieving and believe that you might be saved. That's what John's doing. That's what he's doing. That's why he wrote the Gospel. That's why he recorded the miracles. Similar to why Jesus performed this incredible miracle right here. So, let me apply this as we wrap up. What does compassion usually usually consist of in our culture? Just think about it. How about feeding the hungry? Uh, Housing the homeless? Yeah? Clothing the naked? 
rescuing victims in disaster situations. In the weeks and months to come, you will no doubt hear people appeal to our compassion, to people's compassion, to help the desperate people of Japan. Right? You've probably maybe already heard that. And all of these things are good and necessary and important. They're important. But how often do you think of compassion as a Christian as primarily caring for people's souls? Their souls. And as a result, take the time and make the efforts to speak to them about the truths of Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. Let me ask you a question. If we could obliterate world hunger, give everyone a home, and eliminate natural disasters, but people were not being told about Jesus Christ, and as a result, having been fed, living in a home, having no fear of natural disasters, but still dying, they go to hell. Would you, would you be okay with that? Me either. Let me ask it this way. If world hunger got worse, I have no desire for that to happen, but if it did, if homelessness increased and natural disasters were more frequent, but people everywhere were constantly hearing about Jesus Christ. And some of them, some of them were getting saved, senior. Would you still be able to rejoice even if those people were struggling physically? You see? Sometimes we we get caught up. It is good to help people physically. And so I don't want to be misunderstood. But the church, the church looks beyond this passing world. It doesn't mean they don't help people. But their primary focus is the soul. Maybe you don't remember this. Maybe you do. I was just reading it the other day. In Acts at Pentecost, Peter preached. And it says 3,000, right? 3,000 came. And it also says that, that the church was gathering together and all these great things were happening. Let me just turn there because if I get it wrong, then someone will let me know that. And it says that he was, he was adding to the number day by day those were being saved. But the reference there is to souls. To souls. 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. 
The focus, the emphasis is on the soul. This body will melt away, but the soul will live on, either in hell or in heaven. So what do you think the focus should be? So as believers, our compassion should be exceptional, showing kindness and love uh, even to people who don't deserve it, even to people that may be hostile. That's only going to happen if you're empowered by Christ. I don't have the power to do that on my own. We must believe that Christian compassion is not optional, but it is critical as we live among so many people who are entirely lost and without any hope. And finally, we must remember that Christian compassion, Christian compassion, is not primarily about the physical needs of people, but is more about helping them solve their greatest spiritual need, the salvation of their souls. May God fill us with the type of love that helps us Hope and long to see people truly know His Son, Jesus Christ. May God do that in Summit Bible Church. Let me pray. Father God, we, I personally, I know my brothers and sisters, as they read the Scriptures, are probably also taken back when we see Christ and the display of His attributes and And just the way He interacted with the world. Father, specifically in this scenario where His compassion knows no bounds. He was focused. He had a deep concern for the souls of His people. Father, we are a distracted people a distracted church at large. And we do many things that are good, but sometimes miss the most important thing. So Father, would You help us reprioritize the things that we say are important? Father, would You, would you help us work in our minds and our hearts to elevate compassion for souls as one of the highest priorities in our hearts and our minds. Father, would You work in us and through us through the power of Your Spirit to give us the urgency to know that the situation is critical because people all around us are clueless about Jesus Christ and as a result are being devastated by the enemy. Help us, Father, to see it that way, to see it as a serious situation. And that You have left us here to address that problem. Father, help us to be exceptional in our compassion. So that when that happens and people say, I don't know how You do that, we can say, we're not doing that. But Christ in us, working through us, is accomplishing His purposes in this world. And to Him goes all the glory and the praise and the honor. Let me tell you about Him. Father, magnify Yourself through Your people 
to a lost and dying world, that you may be lifted up and glorified and praised for all eternity. Amen.